three. Good morning, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Appreciate uh, all of you who are out there listening along as we continue our quest here through stewardship and trying to learn about how to be better uh, stewards of the things that God has entrusted us with. As always, this morning with me is my fellow colleague, Michael Ray. Michael, how is everything in Somerset this morning? I've been an esteemed colleague up to this point, so I don't know <laughs> what I've did over the last week to lose my status, but uh, we've talked about that offline, but it's really upsetting. Just a slight downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Deserved, I'm confident. Uh, so as we've, we've been going on with this, uh, you know, the important part that we want to make sure that, that we get across is, is what we're trying to do is tackle these ideas from a spiritual perspective. How can we be better? God's entrusted us with such great blessings and, and, and we are, are well undeserving of all that we've been blessed with. So if we take an attitude of appreciation of that, we truly appreciate all that God has done for us. Now, how do we show that appreciation in how we care for these goods? And we've talked, uh, you know, so far as we've gotten into this, um, just a real quick recap for those of you that may be tuning in late. Um, you know, the first lesson we talked about is just the need for this study, how, how much of the Bible talks about uh, the need for stewardship and the need for us to, to take care of these things, to stay away from greed and to have a heart full of generosity. So we talked about that first. And then secondly, we talked about the idea of how we should view everything, that we are truly, you know, a fiduciary or a power of attorney of God's money, that these aren't, it's not our possessions. These are God's possessions. And what we do with God's money is, is very important. Um, and the fact that there's going to be a final accounting. And so set it, that all set the stage for our last few classes, which has been on truly looking at the budget. So how do we start? Well, the first thing you start is you got to have an accounting of what you got. So what do you have and where are those resources being deployed? So that, that's where we're at, you know, kind of today is continuing to go through that. The first couple of, of things of the budget um, that we've looked at is, is how we start the budget. Your budget always should be begin with what we're giving to kingdom goals. So First and foremost, off the top, you know, our giving is very important. And we broke that down into both giving to the church and giving to uh, others and, and need uh, and looked at, at that through the, the concepts of uh, the gleaning in the Old Testament, as well as the um, blessings that we have in the New Testament that God has told us that we're, we've got enough that we work um, with our hands uh, that we can provide for our, our, uh, uh, ourselves and to have enough to share with others. So that's important. Um, you know, and then we, we talked about, uh, how we should pay ourselves first, set aside savings, set aside emergency funds, provide for insurance. Uh, and, and that's kind of, uh, you know, the, the important part now, you know, again, talking heads will tell you pay yourself first, but you know, no God's kingdom goals get paid first. Secondly is us. So, uh, you know, which brings us to where we are today, right? That, that we're, now uh, on to the third leg of that stool, and and Michael, why don't you introduce where we're going to be today? Sure. So you know, I think as you as you covered there, you know, we we every budget has to start with a certain amount of income, and just to to as by way of review, we this is based on the median family in the in the state of Kentucky, um, which is a fifty thousand dollar household, and so this this is a fifty thousand dollar income household. And so, um, you know, your, your individual results will, will vary, no question, but we got, but we got some principles here that we think are important. And, you know, they're, they're, as you review this, or maybe you're thinking or have some feedback, so there's, there's no way that someone with a $50,000 household is able to um, have a budget that looks like this. Well, as Mike and I noted, this budget is aspirational, right? This, is, this would be, this is an ideal look at someone who has been an exceptionally good steward of, of their, of their thing. And I also would, would note on here, and if you've studied this closely, this, this apparently is a household without children. There's, there's no kids expenses on here, which, which would change the, change the nature of some of these line items as well. But it is something that we're going through that we believe is realistic and that, and that is based on Bible principles. So, and we, we say that based on the verses that, that you know, we've talked about before and are, that are on the screen. God tells us to know the condition of our flocks. Um, and God tells us to, to count the cost when we build a tower. And maybe that Luke 14 verse, Mike, is most applicable to what we're talking about this morning because we're, we're not going to sit down and build a tower, but we may be sitting down to build a house. 
um, and or, or certainly at least to, to purchase a house or a home. Um, and and as part of that parable, Jesus said, "Sit down first and see if you you got the money to complete it." And so that's what we're going to undertake um, in our in our class today. Is when we look at this this sizable chunk of our uh, financial life about housing, how should what, how should the Christian view these expenses? Uh, and there's a there's a number of as you can see there's a number of different buckets that we've allocated uh, funds to here. Uh, obviously, the the mortgage or rent um, being a being a, a big part of that. Uh, we know that there are phone and utility expenses. Um, house has maintenance. There's other things that, that would go into that, uh, into this larger bucket of housing. But this is, this is for, for almost everyone. This is one of the larger, if not the largest line item on the budget. Um, and, and many people tell you to start here. Um, when, when you're, when you're budgeting, uh, I think, you know, hopefully we've seen that, that God's priorities are a little different and we're, we're going to tackle these things in a certain order. But after we have uh, given the kingdom goals and after we have uh, prudently saved for uh, replacement of, of things that we're going to need and, and save for, for uh, our future, that God has blessed us with abundance and we're able to do that, then we can really sit down and analyze what should the size of this bucket be. Um, so I'm going to make one more note here, Mike, and I'm going to turn it over. Is, is you might be saying, well, there's things that aren't in this number there are things that have to do with my housing expenses that aren't in this bucket. And, and we agree. Um, but we think more accurately, some of those expenses might be categorized as entertainment expenses. Um, you know, streaming and television, uh, those, those are optional line items. And so I just think that's, that's important to remember is what's the difference between uh, what's truly housing and what's entertainment. You know, housing is uh, mortgage, uh, property taxes, phone, utilities, uh, and phone could probably is somewhat questionable, but, but you know, that, that is kind of a, a life necessity and fits most comfortably in this bucket. Um, uh, and, and insurance, all those things, you know, those, those I think comfortably fit into this, uh, into this pretty sizable bucket, which for, you know, which for this family is a significant chunk um, of their uh, monthly income. I mean, almost a quarter, rough numbers, um, of their uh, uh, monthly income is allocated to this bucket. Now, that's not all mortgage, but in the, in the utilities and repairs and insurance and everything that would go into housing is roughly a quarter of their total expenses. And so, you know, this part of our life deserves some attention. Right. And, and you know, I, uh, I, I just want to go on record here that I love that the accountant says that phones are optional. Um, he, he's, he's a little tighter with the pencil than I am. I don't think that I said that, but I'll let it, I'll let it go. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, in all honesty, when we look at this, uh, this is, you know, roughly 25% of the gross number. Uh, but more realistically, because nobody lives on gross, you know, this is 35% of the net number. So this is by far the largest item. And that's why most, you know, most of your talking heads, your, you know, financial gurus on the radio uh, will tell you that, that start with your housing. Well, you know, the problem that, that we're going to see later uh, with this as we dig into the math is if you start here, this number can get a whole lot bigger. This number can be 40 or 50% of your uh, net income. And you don't have any money left to do anything else. So, so we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on here. Um, you know, some of these numbers, you know, again, we're, remember, we're using averages. But if you live in a house that is older, that, you know, isn't maybe up to code or, you know, maybe a fixer-upper or something, your utilities may not be 150 You know, your utilities may be 200 bucks or 225 until you get some things done. So that money's got to come out of somewhere. So, you know, that's why when we talk about, you know, streaming and movies and TV, and some of this other stuff, those have to be treated as entertainment because they, we, something's got to be cut. And if you've got to cut something, you know, I think you're going to have to have a phone. You're going to have to have, you know, maintenance and repairs of the house. You have to have, 
you know, you got to pay the mortgage, you got to pay the insurance. You know, these things right here that are on this screen that we're talking about are non-negotiables. These are going to have to be paid every month. You know, it's the other things that, well, you know, uh, it, it may be, and, and please don't misunderstand us here. It may be boring to watch the four channels. Is it four or five, you know, with KET, you know, maybe that's not, you know, what you want out of your lifestyle and that's boring and whatever, but that's just where we're at. If that's what the budget dictates. And I would have a difficult time in accounting when, when the master shows back up to talk about his talents to say, you know, I didn't have any money to give to the local church because Netflix, right? I, I mean, that, that's a very, I think, difficult conversation to have with God about, I've entrusted you with all of this and you couldn't give because of Netflix or, you know, whatever. And I'm not picking on Netflix, just, you know, whatever that television, cable, you know, there are things that, that from time to time, we, because of our, um, and I'll just say it this way, because of our first world mentality, you know, we think that, you know, cable TV, satellite TV, streaming services are a, you know, basic human necessity. And they're just not like, we've got to be honest with this. That, that's not a basic human necessity. Um, you know, air conditioning, indoor plumbing. Yes, I will go all in with you on basic human necessities. Um, binge watching friends for the 15th time. I just, I can't, I can't tell you, you have to have that. Uh, so when we talk about this, I think that's important. There's one other line item here too. If you're not budgeting and accruing and planning for maintenance or repairs, you are setting yourself up to fail. And the bigger the house that you have, the, you know, the, the more that can go wrong. <laughs> and, you know, what you find out is, you know, in, in a certain, you know, you've got to replace things that are consistent with that house, you know, so, you know, you can't, you know, if you have a, you know, a $200,000 house, you can't put things in the $200,000 house that, you know, don't fit because they were made for a $50,000 house, for example. So you've got to understand what it's going to cost to replace like the HVAC unit. You know, if you've got a house that is a thousand square feet, you need one size of an HVAC unit. But if you have a house that is 2,500 square feet, you need twice the size of an HVAC unit, which is twice the money. So we've got to understand that they're going to come with some bigger expenses, the bigger the house you have. So that's got to factor into, you know, that top line of what can I afford to pay in a mortgage payment? Because I've got to know I've got some of these other expenses that not may happen are going to happen. You know, the beauty of home ownership, the difference between that and renting is when something breaks, there's nobody to call except for somebody that's going to bring you a bill. You know, and if your toilet's clogged up and you can't fix that, you can call a plumber and they're going to hand you a bill. If you, you know, whatever goes wrong, you're responsible for. And you've got to plan for that. If you don't plan for that, then it makes homeownership very, very difficult. And, and there's definitely some overlap between uh, that maintenance and repair line and the savings line that we talked about uh, in our last class. You know, that, that we are probably in that savings bucket accruing for some of those larger things, right? Then, uh, or at least hopefully we are. We've been thoughtful about that for the roof, for the HVAC. Um, you know, this, this line item um, is, is kind of in my mind more of the monthly nagging repairs that have to be done. You know, you got to go, you got to go buy some parts to fix the toilet. Um, uh, and even, even I can do that. There is a certain level of, there's a certain level of maintenance that, that, even, even the, the most ill-equipped can, uh, can, can handle. So there, again, we we're definitely accruing for those larger things, but there, we, we know that part of owning a home is the, are the nagging monthly expenses. And that's kind of what this is intended to, to cover. Uh, and also, that could be, be other things like even more basic than that, like light bulbs. Sure. You know, just, there, there's, there's dumb things that always get us every month, but this is, this is the, again, the, the utopian budget here where we're trying not to get surprised, right? That that's, that's the goal here is if we've got an accrual for everything, then we don't get surprised. But here's the funny thing about said budget. There's also a line item for other because we anticipate getting surprised. Like from time to time, look, we just didn't anticipate this and it happened or there's not enough money in the maintenance and repairs or something's not exactly maintenance or repairs. It's, you know, you're going to pay somebody to come and take out a tree. And, you know, hey, that's, that's in the other bucket. So I didn't mean to cut you off, Michael, just kind of a thought there. No, you're going where I was going is, is there's this other bucket 
that we don't necessarily um, allocate a budget number to, but we know that other things happen. We know that you that you uh, buy a, a new piece of furniture. Um, there, there are things that, that go into, um, in, into housing that don't neatly fit into those buckets. And so we wanna allocate for those as we go along. And you can see during this fictional month, this family did have $150 of those other expenses. They bought a couple of lamps or whatever they did um, that, that we want to, uh, capture and be able to, to look at over time, but may not fit neatly into any of the buckets. The, the, other, the other thing I'd note about the top line, which is the largest line, the mortgage and the rent line, is um, because we know that different people have different housing situations, um, if, if you are a homeowner, um, that line includes property taxes. Um, so just keep that in mind as we go forward. If you are a if you're a renter, obviously we're just talking about your your monthly lease payment. Um, in either case, there's some level of insurance that you're going to need to carry, and this is based um, this is really based on on some home ownership um, insurance level. But again, for the sake of this fictional budget, uh, this is a family that has a mortgage, and we'll we'll talk uh, in a little more detail about what that mortgage might look like. Right, and and if you're you know if you're renting. Um, you know, you can play with those two numbers together, right? So if your renter's insurance is $25 a month, then Correct. you can afford an extra 75 on the rent payment because you're capturing some of those other things in there. You know, Correct. part of the reason why renter's insurance is so cheap and just to, you know, I don't mean to turn this into a property and casualty class, but just to, real quick, part of the reason why renter's insurance is, is very inexpensive is that all it covers is your stuff. The, the property owner is covering the building and covering, you know, the replacement of the building, which is the biggest cost, but your stuff that's inside your apartment or your townhouse is all you're covering on your renter's policy. So they're just going to replace your clothes and, and all of that, those types of things. So that's a lot less expensive. Essentially your part of your rent payment is going to cover insuring the cost of the building. So that number's still there. It's still being paid, but you're just paying it out of a different bucket. Um, but it, it's still the same net money. It's just who's paying what in that, in that scenario. So Mike, I'd like to take a look at this, again, this fictional budget for this family, uh, this, this, this good steward family. And you might be asking the question, well, are these numbers, uh, are they reasonable? Is that a reasonable mortgage payment? Is that a, is that a reasonable insurance number? So, so this, is, this is something that you can find on, on many third-party websites. This is stolen from, um, I can't remember, bankrate.com or, or some similar site. And, and so what, what, how do we get to a, um, the mortgage number that we came to? I would have you remember, I'm going to jump back for just a minute. Remember that this, we talked about this mortgage or mortgage number uh, included our, our mortgage payment plus property taxes at 750 and then $100 for insurance. Well, in this, in this fictional example, you'll see that our principal and interest plus our property taxes is about 750 and our homeowner's insurance is about another 100, total of 850. So this example mirrors very well our, our fictional family. Um, and so what is, that, what is that based on? Well, that is based on a $150,000 home that this good steward was able to put 10% down on on a 30-year on a 30-year mortgage at, at rates close to today's rates. So, um, you know, I, I think there are great tools out there, and this would this would help us come to that point. There are great tools out there that when we uh, put our budget together and we we get our give bucket and our save bucket, and we got our non-negotiable bucket, and we know what our net income is, that we can come and say, okay, here are my here are my uh, income numbers. We know what, uh, I, I know based on this great little sheet here, what I can afford for mortgage and what I can afford for insurance. So what does that mean in terms of a home and have some idea of, of what that, what that home value is. I know this is, we're, we're, we're way into the, the, the practical rather than the spiritual. We'll certainly get there. Why is this, why is this expenditure worthwhile in God's sight? Um, but, but I do, I do think that uh, it's just it's just good to be aware that there there are many many good tools out there to help us handle this part of our budget and, and understand what uh, what how these numbers are calculated and what they mean. So so I want to piggyback on that too. So it is very very important to educate yourself and find these tools because as we're going to see in just a minute, 
if you walk into the bank, they're going to use different tools. <laughs> so, you know, their tools are going to be very different because, you know, their goals are very different than your goals. So, so we, we've got to understand that. But here's the other thing, and I, I want to stay here for just a minute, is we are talking about median income in the state of Kentucky. So if you're listening to this and you live in New York City, no, $150,000 home is not reasonable in Manhattan, okay? It's, it's just not. You know, we know what property values are. But also your median income is probably not 50 grand in Manhattan either. So, you know, I, wanna, I don't want, you know, someone to kind of get away or, or poo-poo like, well, you know, nobody can afford to live in a $150,000 house. In almost every county in Kentucky, I mean, I'd say even in Jefferson County, which is probably our most expensive county to live in, you can find a home for 150000 You can find a, a good place to live that you would be comfortable with at $150,000. Now, will it have all the amenities of a $300,000 house? No, no, it's not. But it's also not going to be, you know, a shanty in the woods, you know. And I think sometimes we've got to understand from an income standpoint, this is what I can afford. And if I try to stretch then I'm going to have to sacrifice something else. So this is why this goal comes third on our list. And you can get on places like Zillow, Realtor.com and put in an area and say, all right, I want to live in Pulaski County or I want to live in Boyle County because that's where my job is. And what are the ones that are 150000 and under? Because again, this is a budget. You can come in under. Where can I live? And, and you'll find plenty of houses there. Again, this doesn't work in LA. This doesn't work in New York City. But you've got to understand where we're talking about and, and, and where we're living. And I assure you, there are plenty, plenty of homes available at this price point here. And, and you know, today, just because I work at a bank, you know, Michael's high on the interest rate at 375, okay? T today, you can do that for between three and 315. Um, I just got mortgage rates a little bit ago. Um, we get them every morning, but you're, you're three to 315, assuming you've got good credit. Um, now, if you've got bad credit, there's some extra points, but that, that's a whole other story. But it's important that we understand the difference between wants and needs, that we understand the difference between what we can afford and what we can't. This is how people get in trouble. This is exactly how people get in trouble is our next slide. So Michael, Tell, the, tell our friends if they walk into Friendly Bank ABC what the mortgage lender who is just there to help is going to tell them. So, and, and we chose this next example for exactly that reason, Mike, is that, you know, the, the, the godly, the stewardship mindset takes that giving bucket and that saving bucket and allocates those funds and says, okay, here is, from a stewardship perspective, this is um, where what's reasonable in our, in our budget. And it, it relies on some really old fashioned and out of favor things like thrift and uh, saving and, and reasonableness. Right. Um, but that, that is not the, the model that um, most people use, unfortunately, when they go about how to, how to um, look at a mortgage or how to look at a home that, Instead, the mindset is, well, what's the maximum amount that I can, uh, what's the biggest house that I can afford to buy? And afford is a difficult concept because if you type in the words maximum mortgage in, into uh, an internet search function, you will find uh, many sites that will tell you, based on your income, what is your maximum mortgage? And so... For the sake of this example, I plugged in on a, on one of these sites. I plugged in our fictional family with their forty one fifty of monthly income, and their their monthly debt. We'll talk about that later. They got a two hundred fifty dollar car payment, and their monthly property taxes and insurance. And based on those numbers, um, this site and and as Mike would say, you know, mortgage lenders at almost any bank would would tell you, well, hey, where rates are today you can afford a mortgage up to $215,000. And hey, if you add that to your $15,000 down payment that we already talked about, we can put you in a $230,000 home. 
And all of a sudden you go to Zillow and you look at the $230,000 homes compared to the $150,000 homes. And you know what? They're nicer. <laughs> they're, they're, the neighborhoods are a little better. The yards are a little bigger. The, 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 uh, the appliances are a little nicer. They are. It's, an, it's the nature of why that home costs more. And so, hey, if, if the, the mortgage lender is telling me that I can afford a $230,000 home, again, $215,000 mortgage plus our down payment, then I, I sh you know, he, he, he understands finances. He knows that I can afford that. And then all of a sudden, instead of our um, mortgage property taxes and insurance coming to $850, they're at $1,150. And, and that's the difference between those two examples. So it's $300 a month. Well, where's that $300 going to come from? Unfortunately, in most instances, if you go back to look at our budget, it comes out of the giving and saving buckets that, that we sacrifice what we're saving to, uh, to replace and for, and for uh, retirement goals, or we sacrifice kingdom purposes for, that, for, that, for those appliances in that nicer part of town. Um, and, and that's just a real practical, concrete example of how that happens, is that if we, if we went about this for this fictional family the way that Mike and I, the way that, that we believe is the right way to budget, we would, we would end up in this $150,000 home. If we took those same income numbers and, and just went to the internet, we might end up in a $230,000 home. And the difference is um, how, how many uh, widows and orphans we can help. The difference is uh, how much that we can help poor families. The difference is how much we can... Uh, put in our replacement fund for the roof and the HVAC unit. And, and really the difference is if we're not funding those other things that when hard times come along, then all of a sudden we're in credit card debt or in, we're in home equity debt and the snowball gets bigger. But it, it's, it's, that, it's this kind of first decision on, on housing that can, that can cause that snowball to grow in, in either of those directions. Yeah, the, so we talked about this a little bit um, in leading up to this, but th there are some ratios that are out there, and and they're you know pretty well known about you know it's thirty five percent of your gross income, and and the bank's going to run you through those. Here's the issue with that, um, you know, again, I've got a little inside baseball because I work at a bank and I work right next to a mortgage lender who's a good friend of mine, so I. I the inside baseball is most of these mortgages are government backed mortgages. There's a company called Freddie Mac and another one called Fannie Mae that are government entities at this point uh, that set these parameters. And when they look at your gross income, they apply these figures to them. You know, what's not in that calculation, God savings. No, that's in the calculation. They do not under any circumstances account for it when they get to 35% of gross income, they're accounting for food and, and, and basic living expenses, uh, but are not calculating, you know, any giving or savings. Though, you know, they'll deduct car payments and they'll deduct anything that shows up on a credit report to come to your debt to income ratio, and then your housing to income ratio. All of those are based on things that show up on your credit report. But, you know, the Lord's church is not going to show up on your credit report. You know, uh, Michael's the treasurer at Southside, and I don't know that he reports to any credit bureau what people contribute every month or every week, right? These, it's never going to show up there. It's not a uh, credit obligation as your credit card bill or your car payment is. So from the world standpoint, you just don't do that. You know, that's not part of it. From the world standpoint, only uber wealthy people can afford to give. So, you know, once you get up to where you can pay cash for a house or, you know, you're financing a million dollar house or whatever, you know, then you can give to charities. But average Joe should just be able to pay their bills. And especially in a consumer driven, consumer based society, a consumption based society, they want us to consume. And so that's the world's picture of this. But Again, we are not of the world, and we, we are just passing through. We're vacationing here. Uh, we're just sojourners. We're travelers. 
And our goals are not, I need to have the nicest house on the block or the nicest house in my socioeconomic circle or the nicest house at church. It, we need a house that is a capital asset used also for the purposes of kingdom goals. Like we, we've got to understand why we own the house. And, and that's got to be the most important thing is that this is, you know, what is our intent when we say, I want to own a home? And, and I think that, that, that leads us kind of to our, our next section here. But we've got to get away from, you know, I'm owning it because it's pretty. <laughs> and we need to get to the point of what am I owning it for? Yeah, homes are such a status, right? They're such a, in the modern world, consumption-based consumption, consumption based, um, society that we're in, homes are a status symbol. And it's easy, it's incredibly easy to fall into that trap. And, and I think the question that you ask is the right one is, why is this large line item, why is it a good use of God's resources? Is it a good use of God's resources? And that is the question that the Christian uh, is forced to, to kind of wrestle with and answer, um, is that should this, you know, even in our stewardship example, it was a significant part of their budget. We said, what, 25% of their, of their gross income. So, you know, is that, is that a good use of God's resources? Um, and if we think about it from that stewardship perspective, it changes a lot of those answers. It, 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 turns, it turns not into how much house can I afford, but how much of God's money am I comfortable spending on my housing? And that's a, that's a very different way to, to look, at that, look at that question. Um, and so that, that's what we're going to talk about. We've, we've kind of uh, dove into the practical, you know, what's, what, what's the difference between a stewardship mortgage versus a maximum mortgage. But we wanted to end um, with the spiritual about the, the, the bigger spiritual question of, are these expenditures a good uh, steward of God's resources? And, and we, believe, we believe that they are, that, that it, it is reasonable to spend a portion of our budget on, on this large capital asset if we're doing it with kingdom intent. And how do we do that? Um, and, and Mike, one of those ways that comes to mind is, are we using that capital asset for hospitality? Is this God's house? Um, and so we'll talk about a few of these verses. Let, let, let me um, throw one thing at you before we get in there. Would you explain uh, in layman's terms what a capital asset is? Because I, I threw that out there also um, like a jerk instead of explaining it. So can you walk us through kind of the idea of the balance sheet and what a capital asset is? So, you know, I, I, would, I would think very simply that, that a capital asset is, is something that we own of value that, that is going to retain or, or even grow in value over time that we have invested a significant amount of money in you know, over the, over the life of a mortgage, you know, you're going to invest a significant amount of money in this, in this thing that we own that retains and grows in value, that it is, it is, it is an asset. Uh, it is, it is something that, um, that is uh, from a net worth perspective, you know, is a large part of what we own, um, that there's going to retain some value. I probably did a poor job with that, but I wasn't prepared. <laughs> well, I mean, I figured accounting right off the top of your head. Uh, so, uh, sorry, I, I got I to poke the accountant every once in a while. Uh, so, we talk about, we talk about a capital asset. Another term here is, is, is also a use asset. So, you know, this is something that we own that, as Michael said, both is going to increase our value, but, but holds and retains value. So, we have it, but we have it to use for a specific purpose. You know, that compared to like a vehicle, which is not a capital asset, it's a depreciating asset. It has a useful life and then it's gone. Um, you know, you're, you're constantly, I mean, unless you've done a better job than anybody I know, with a vehicle, there's a certain life expectancy. You get 200, 300,000 miles on a vehicle and it stops running, it doesn't work anymore, you've got to go get another one. So we spend most of our lives turning over vehicles. But a home, you know, there are homes in Boyle County, not far from me, that have been around since the late 1800s. You know, they've been maintained. They, you know, I'm sure had a bunch of improvements done to them, but they've been standing in the same place. I don't know many vehicles that have been around since the 1970s. You know, most of those are gone or they're classic cars. So when we talk about that, um, you know, this is also the difference in 
and we're going to get to this more in the debt class, but I just want to throw this in here as important. The difference between debt and leverage, you know, a capital asset is a leverage asset. So think about it this way. You buy a house for 150000 and the average growth of equity in a home is about 3%. Home prices typically increase over long periods of time at about 3%. So as you're making mortgage payments, the balance that you owe goes down. But the value of your house also goes up. So you're creating equity that hopefully at the end of your 30-year mortgage, and again, I'm just going to use simple interest, right? So at the end of your 30-year mortgage, 3% at 30 years is 90%. Your $150,000 house should be worth just under $300,000. So you've paid hundred and well, not hundred fifty. You've paid three over 30 years. You've probably paid close to $300,000 in payments uh, for a house that is now worth Three hundred thousand, but it, as it's appreciating, so it's appreciating at the, roughly the same rate of your your interest. So that's a that's leverage. You you borrowed one hundred and fifty to create a three hundred thousand dollar asset in the future. Different from you borrow thirty thousand dollars to buy a car that when you have that note paid off in five years, that car is worth two thousand dollars. See the, the difference in a capital use asset that's appreciating versus a depreciating asset. So sorry, I didn't mean to get too far off the rails there, but, but I think it's important to understand that this is, it's not only a, you know, a place where we're going to live and it's not only just an investment, but there is a specific kingdom uses that we have for this home that also makes it worth it. So it's, it works out as an investment and all this other stuff, but what are we using it for? You know, when, when, like at the bank, we build a branch. We're going we're gonna to do business in that branch. We, we have got the purposes of the bank that we're going to do when we build a new office. When you purchase a home and you have kingdom goals, what are you going to use that home for? And, and that brings us to, to hospitality. So hospitality is the one that you know, jumps right off the page of, hey, if I've got a home, I can open said home, right? I can have people into the house. And, and, and Michael, when you think about hospitality, before we get to our, our verses, what do you think about, you know, right off the top of your head when you think hospitality, when you hear that word? Well, I, th I think it's been, it's been drilled in, into to my head through, through some years of, of Bible studies is that, you know, that, that Greek word behind hospitality means lovers of strangers. And so um, that, that, that kind of pops into my head uh, a little bit. That, that, that's really what the root of the word is, that, that there's a love for somebody else. And, and even, even if we don't have a great relationship with those people that uh, or, or know them very well, that we're still willing to be hospitable. Uh, and the other thing is, I think you would say also that there are, there are specific um, people in our past that their names or their faces pop into your head when you mention hospitality. Uh, because there are certain people who excel at this grace, um, who are uh, extremely hospitable people, that their homes were, um, they, they were clearly God's home, right? And that, that's the key to this. I think the, the key to this whole idea is if, if every asset is God's asset, if, if we truly believe that he owns everything, if every spending decision is a spiritual decision, then this is God's asset. Right. It's, it, you know, for all the conversation that we're having about it, it's, it's our capital asset. It's going to appreciate and, you know, all that gobbledygook that you spit at us. Uh, the, the, the end of it is it's really God's house that, that I'm making, I'm making the payments with, with the, 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 the funds that God has blessed me with. So, so that he can have this asset. Now, if this is God's asset, if this is God's house, how are we going to use it? How would God have me use it for his purposes? And I, I think there, there are people's names that would come to mind that I, I, won't, I won't mention publicly, but there are people's names that come to mind immediately that I think of their home was God's asset. And, and there was no question in my mind that they were using it as God would have them to use it um, because they, they understood and they, they recognized that they were stewards of God's house and God wanted them to use their capital asset for kingdom purposes. How could they... Uh, encourage others? How can they have studies in their home? How can they have singings in their home? How could they um, have, do, have fellowship events in their home where we can grow closer together that God's kingdom truly benefited because God owned the house? 
Yeah, and, and I think there's uh, – I've been running, trying to find this quote in my head, um, and, and, and I'm going to butcher it, but the concept basically is that, you know, it, it's a house that doesn't have doors because it's free to all who come through. You know, that that's the, that's the way you treat it, that it's, you know, it's, it's a place to come where you can find, you know, you can find rest, you can find solace, you can find refreshing. And when we, you know, I think when I look back to the, to the New Testament and I think about, you know, Mary and Martha, for example, right? That Jesus, when things were rough, like that's where he went. He went and he spent time with them. Now there was teaching that was done there. There was encouraging that was done there, but there's also like, that's where he found, you know, peace and rest and comfort with, you know, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, you know, throughout my life, and I, I'm, I'm sure throughout your life too, that there are places like that, that we think of that we went for that hospitality, for that rest, for that comfort, for that refreshing, for, and, and, and those were places that when I think of hospitality, that's exactly what I think about, that that's what, that's what I want is, you know, if, if I can create that environment where people can come and unburden themselves, uh, right? I, I think that's huge. The other thing, my, you know, hospitality commercial here is there are things that you can talk about on a couch, around a kitchen table that nobody's ever going to feel comfortable about in a Bible class. You're just not. I, I mean, I, I've, I've taught, you know, adult Bible classes for 20 years now, and I've never heard people just raise their hand and unburden difficult things, problems in their marriage, problems with their kids, problems with themselves spiritually in the middle of that, that setting. I have, however, sat on a couch next to somebody and they've unloaded when it was just us because the environment was comfortable because there was trust there because we created a space. And, and I don't know whether the couch is just more comfortable or if you have a cup of coffee in your hand, you're freer to speak. I don't know what that is, but I know when you have that comfort, you're able to unburden yourself in a whole different way. And I think that's the purpose of hospitality. Hospitality and, and, and if you're, you're watching this and you have some misguided conceptions on hospitality, hospitality is not about the food. Hospitality is not about whether or not your house is clean or, you know, you've hidden all the dirt and the kids' toys and you put out the fake house where it looks like nobody lives in it. That is not hospitality. Hospitality is about a, a, an open heart and time to talk and to grow closer together. Yeah, I mean that the first the key word that hospitality in the in the Greek is love. It's not about um, uh, structure. It's not about provision. It's not about you know to your point. It's not about food. It's not about coffee, but it's about love. And are are we willing to uh, are we willing to use God's assets to love on people? That that's essentially what it is. Um, and I want to talk about this first verse that we have noted here, First Peter 4, verse 9. It says, show hospitality to one another without complaining. And, and I, I use that for a specific purpose, is that because the, the, the root Greek of, of hospitality is lover of strangers, I've, I've even um, known of, of some Christians who, who said, well, you know, that, that's not about people in the church. That's about bringing in people from the outside. And if they need a place to stay, you know, you give them a place to stay, but it's not really about, you know, having people in the local congregation to your home or feeding people at your home. You know, that, that that's, that's a fellowship idea, but that that's not really what hospitality is. I think first Peter four verse nine would, would, would dispute that point a little bit that even though the, the root word means lovers of strangers, Peter says to do it to one another, to people that aren't strangers that we are to have that kind of love, that openness, that, that comfort level to have people in our home to show hospitality to people that we know without complaining, to create those environments, Mike, that you're talking about where, where true connection and um, sharing and, and, and love can, um, can happen. Um, just a couple more verses here, unless you've got, a, unless you've got another point you wanna make there. Um, Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints that would go into the giving bucket pursue hospitality and those things are paralleled in that verse which i think is interesting 
Acts 2.46 gives us a, a practical example of that. Remember these early Christians, every day they gathered together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts from house to house. They were, uh, they were breaking, breaking bread, and that's not in a Lord's Supper sense. That just means that they were sharing food with one another um, from house to house. They were open. Their, God's homes in that area were open to this idea of hospitality. We know that in, in Matthew's um, um, gospel and Jesus' example of the, of the final judgment, when the righteous come to him and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And, and he will say to them, I tell you the truth, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. How can we, uh, God, how can we uh, uh, show that, that uh, we're, we're willing to feed you or, or you know, got to do it to one of my to one of my brethren. It's, it is, should not surprise us that one of the um, qualifications for an elder in, in the book of Titus is that the elder must be hospitable, devoted to what is good. This is part of what God expects from the leaders of his people is that they have open homes. Um, in, in Hebrews 13, verse 2, don't neglect hospitality because through it some have entertained angels without knowing it. Uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Uh, so anyway, is, is, is home ownership a, a, um, a stewardship? Is it a godly use of resources? I think these verses would indicate that it is. That, again, can, can you spend too much of your budget on housing? Yes, for sure. You can put yourself in a bad spot. Um, but is, is it reasonable to spend God's money on a house that God can use a hundred percent? Right. Yeah. And, and the idea of, of, of hospitality here, I mean, this is a basic tenement. You know, the next verse in Acts two forty six, uh, verse 47 says, and the church grew, you know, yes. this is part of, of the growth of the church. There's all kinds of books written out there about, you know, how to grow your church and whatnot. But at the end of the day, the scriptural pattern for it is you love people and you lead them to Jesus. That, that's how this works. And there are people that are far more willing to open up to you inside the house and visit with you and build a relationship with you. than are going to walk through the doors of the church, uh, regardless of what your sign says or what fancy marketing material you're using. Amen. And, and just, just the opportunity to love on people and, and how are you going to, where, where's the, the right environment to do that? Um, where you, you really got time to connect and to share and to hash out differences. What's the, what's the right environment to do that? It is, it is very likely not, don't have the time or the opportunity uh, or the venue to do it at, at, the, at the local uh, meeting place, right? Now, perhaps you can schedule time to do it there, but just it's more, more comfortably done in a, private environment. It's hard to do at the coffee shop. It's hard to do at the workplace. It's hard to do at McDonald's, but you bring somebody into your home, you can have those kind of kingdom conversations that can stretch as long as you need them to stretch. Um, I, I, I've, I've had to kick you out of, 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 <laughs> of these kind of conversations because they, and vice versa, I might add, but, but these, these kind of conversations of, that start with hospitality and go into kingdom purposes those those meaningful conversations are the ones that stretch for hours and that's really the only venue that can accommodate that that kind of thing so go i'm sorry go ahead no i i that i was on the same page that you know it, we've uh i'm pretty sure that over our uh 17 year history here uh we've kicked each other out of every home that we've lived in <laughs> <laughs> same story so uh, two anecdotal stories on hospitality that that are just, you know, every time I think about this, there, there's two stories that I think of. Um, one involves Michael and some other friends. So when we, we were all first married around the same time, um, we didn't know each other at the time, but um, Diane and I and Michael and Tara got married a week apart um, in 2003. And fast forward a year later, we're all going to church at the same place. And that summer there's, you know, two other couples had recently gotten married and some friends that were, were there. And so we spent the next year, at least one or two days a week in each other's houses, just spending time together, eating together, talking, 
um, planning our lives, figuring out what all we didn't know. You know, if, if not for that, two of us aren't sitting here today. You know, and, and our relationships that have built over time and all we've been through really came out of, out of that hospitality that we all, and listen, we, you know, all of us at that stage of our life were, were broke, we're just starting out, we're, you know, had no idea how to be married and we're just married. And, you know, we were able to lean on, on each other. You know, our kids and this group of, of friends, our kids are, you know, months apart and being born. You know, we all became parents at the same time. But those, those times together and that hospitality, that, that's what brings us closer. And this is, you know, a lifetime, life uh, long friendships. You know, we spent that next year together. And then almost immediately after that, we scattered to the corners of Kentucky uh, and, and moved on. But we've been able to, to maintain those friendships because of that. So that's anecdote one, that, that this is really important. Anecdote two is I was in a gospel meeting and it's not important where I was, not important the church. Um, but one night of that meeting, it, it's typical when you're the meeting preacher, people have you in, in their house to eat. Right. And, and it's, it's always an experience cause you, they invite other people over. You get to know people. It's, that's a great experience on one of the nights of the meeting, this lady had us into her apartment and it was a studio apartment. It was, um, me and Diane, the preacher that was there and three other couples in a, 800 square foot studio apartment. Uh, there weren't really tables. There, there was like a two person kitchen table, but one of the couples sat on her bed and ate. another couple stood on the counter and ate. and she, you know, fried fish and cooked for us. And we laughed and we joked and we had a fabulous time. And I've never, ever forgot her because she didn't think anything about, she couldn't do this. I mean, she's in a little bitty apartment, but she wanted to show hospitality and it was important to her to have people in her home and to create that environment. And I've known self myself, I, I, I've been in this awful state where I thought I either don't have the room or don't have the resources or don't have the stuff. Like I'm not the person to be hospitable during gospel meeting week or, or whatever other event because I don't think I've got the right configuration. And I think about this woman and what she did. And I think about, you know, how many of us talk ourselves out of being hospitable because we, you know, think we don't have enough or the right food or our house isn't clean enough or our house isn't big enough or our stuff isn't nice enough or whatever myriad of nonsense that we talk ourselves into. I go back to that, that meeting that night and think, you know, she truly didn't care about any of that nonsense. She was worried about being hospitable and, and that that'll make an impression on me the rest of my life. So the important part, and I said that a little while ago, but the important part is not the meal. It's not the event. It's not any of that. The important part is, is, is people spending time together, talking and sharing their lives. That's what, that's what hospitality is. Forget the other stuff. That's just a side note. That's the sideshow. Yeah, that is a, using God's, using what God blessed her with to bless somebody else. That that's the that's the core of what we're talking about, and 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 because of that, yeah, it's it's a valuable use of God's resources. Are there biblical examples? Yes. Here's just one: Abraham. Uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. Uh, you may be familiar with that story, uh, but. Abraham was incredibly hospitable. Sorry about that. The Lord was incredibly hospitable. Uh, Abraham was incredibly hospitable, not knowing who these people were. And when Hebrews 13, 2 says, some have entertained angels unaware, I think that maybe the reference is to this account of Abraham um, because uh, these people that he didn't know in the heat of the day, he immediately gave them a place to stay and uh, a place, an opportunity to watch themselves and prepared the best of what he had for them. And so that Genesis 18 example is, is a great one of how we can, how we can use our, our homes and our resources for God. And he was hospitable. That's, that's generally loving of a stranger. One other thing, Mike, and I know we're short on time. One more thing that, that, um, how can our homes, how can we use God's asset for God's purposes? And that's to raise God's children. Okay. Can we, can we have a, a, um, an environment where uh, one of the most, in my judgment, one of the most important things God has given us stewardship of um, souls, like God has given us stewardship of souls, like contemplate that um, concept. 
that that these souls that God has given us stewardship of, if our home, if if that that spend of God's money on a home allows us to to raise God's children, I think I think that's a good use of resources, um, because if the Lord doesn't build the house, then those who build it work in vain. Psalm one twenty seven, and children are a gift from the Lord. Um, so and there's no question that there's a there's a there's a kingdom principle there. Yeah, so this is where I feel terrible when we get to this, that, you know, we're over time, out of time, whatever. But this is probably the most important thing we should talk about. Uh, you know, to Michael's point, you know, we're entrusted with souls here. And, you know, part of this home is providing, you know, and this is when we're talking about not just the four walls, right? We're talking about the environment of the home. You know, CapEx spending, yeah, we got to spend some money to have four walls, to, to have a place where they're safe, where they can come in. Uh, but there's so much more to, to a home than just a house. And, and that's the building on the inside. And there should be, you know, resources devoted to the needs there of, of raising our children and making sure that they're, you know, comfortable and safe. And, you know, we've got to make some serious decisions when we come to our CapEx spending on um, how much we're willing to spend to, educate our children secularly or support their, you know, athletic aspirations versus what our spend is to grow them spiritually. You know, and, and again, I, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not knocking if, if your kid plays ball and you do travel ball and that that's, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. What I am saying is if a large portion of your discretionary income goes to chasing an athletic pursuit, and little to no goes to helping their spiritual pursuits, I think we've probably got an imbalance there. And, and it's important that we understand that, you know, in raising God's children, these souls we're entrusted with, that our home environments ought to be one where spiritual priorities, because it's God's house, are promoted above athletic or academic pursuits. And, and listen, you, you may have, you know, Mozart uh, as your child, or you may have the next, you know, Pete Rose or Derek G or Michael Jordan that, that absolutely may be. But if you spend time improving the backyard to put a putting green in or a basketball court and, you know, you haven't spent enough time on their heart with introducing them to Jesus, I, I think we've messed something up. Pete Rose was an interesting choice there. <laughs> wasn't the first place I would have got, but I'm from Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> sometimes the north of the river seeps out of it. We can't get, uh, but yeah, hundred percent uh, cosine all that. Um, so, what are we trying to say in the, you know this hour that we've spent together this morning? You know, our housing is a big part of our financial budget, and um, First of all, are we choosing that level appropriately? Is what we're doing does it does it really fit our does it really fit our 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 budget? And and secondly, do we recognize that it's that it's God's house? And the only, in my judgment, the only way that that we can justify spending a quarter of God's resources on housing is if that house is God's house used for His purposes. Otherwise. Um, you know, I, I would shudder to think that I would I would tell my master that I'm spending a quarter of his resources that I've been entrusted with or more on uh, a capital asset that he's getting no benefit out of. I mean, that is a that is a troubling that's a really troubling idea. Um, hey, God, I'm, I'm spending a quarter of your stuff on this house, but you're not getting any benefit out of it. Um, that should give us some pause. On the other hand, if if people are being served, if people are getting loved on, if children are getting are being raised, um, if the kingdom is benefiting because of because of this asset that I own, uh, to God be the glory. Right. Yeah. That, that it's it's different if we're building a you know use asset that is a sanctuary for hurting souls. Um, you know that that's that's in line. Remember when we talked about all these things. Are our goals in line with God's goals? And, and when those two goals are lined up, we're doing it right. When those two goals are opposed to one another, we've messed something up along the way. 
So, uh, again, just very, very quick recap of, you know, it's important. Let's get our numbers right. More important, let's get our intent right. As with everything else, um, intent is always the most important place to start spiritually. What's our intent? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, and, and we'll make sure we get, we get the numbers right along the way. Um, next class, debt. I think that's a good place to go. Um, it it kind of comes part and parcel with our uh, with this discussion. We've talked about mortgage and debt. And so um, is it okay to have that mortgage? That'd be a good conversation for next time. Right. And, and the difference, you know, we'll, we'll get into the difference between leverage and debt too. We've mentioned that concept a little bit briefly. Um, and then how debt is a robber of, of things. So we'll and how it can affect the rest of our budget. Yeah, it's a good conversation. Um, so we'll spend um, our next uh, discussion doing that. But thank you all for, for tuning in. Again, hit like, hit share, send us comments, DM, um, text messages. If there's something specific you'd like to cover, um, we'll be more than happy to get through it as we work our way through the budget. Uh, uh, but hopefully this has been good for you. All the things that we talk about and all these lessons, and, and maybe we should say this more, but um, it's evolution, not a revolution. Don't have to get there tomorrow. Uh, pray about it. Talk to it about Talk this stuff over with your spouse and make some decisions as to what one change you can make, how you can take one step toward getting better. Uh, if you'll do that every day uh, down the road, we'll be right where we want to be. The, uh, the angle of the sunlight through the window tells me that it's time for me to depart. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be getting out of here. I mean, enjoyed it as always, my friend. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Next time. See you.